Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO and myself, your host, Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations throughout the world of sports, typically in basketball with coaches, players, front office executives. Today's is someone that I've known for quite some time, someone who I've admired as I've finished my playing career and done some coaching. Uh, when I sit back and look at this amount of success that he had as a coach, uh, around 30 years at Prairie High School, six-time state champion, all-time winningest coach for big schools in the state of Washington for high school girls basketball, Al Aldridge. Al, how are you today? And uh, hopefully, you know, you are getting enough time to fish during your retirement. Uh, good morning, Dan. Hey, uh, glad to be here. And yeah, I get, get to squeeze in some fishing every once in a while here. Well, going back to your time at Prairie High School, I mentioned six state titles, all-time winningest coach on the girls' side for big schools. That shows me that there was a sustained excellence within your program. But anytime you have excellence, it typically doesn't just happen overnight. As you began to build the Prairie program, what were the key components that you felt were non-negotiables that had to be there from the start to create that success? Um, fundamentals, I mean, cliche, but I've always felt that those were important. And from the people that mentored me, as I was learning, you know, the game better and how to coach, I think uh, really stressed that with me. And so um, fundamentals, uh, defense, I think we, we really built our whole program on the defensive philosophy and <clears throat> prided everything we did on the defensive side. And um, pressure, I think in girls basketball, you know, especially in the early days, uh, pressure was a key component and being able to um, pressure opponents in all, all ways, man-to-man and zone and combinations of both. I mean, um, <clears throat> I think those all contributed to what we're doing too. And then just having great players, that really helped too. <laughs> having great players is, is definitely a help. I know I've talked to a number of college coaches um, about their recruiting philosophies, and a lot of it has come down to look, you got to get players, uh, whether you're running one offensive philosophy of, of block or mover or flex or motion, pick and roll, whatever it is, you got to have plays, players that can make plays 
when an opportunity presents itself. And I, I do subscribe to that. But at the high school level, you are kind of dealt the hand that is, lives in your district. <laughs> now, there are going to be occasional families move in and out, and that's, you know, their prerogative. But did you, did you build the youth program in any particular form or fashion where they had that fundamental base so when they got to high school – they were prepared for you and your program and your coaching philosophy? Yeah, I kind of left that out in the first uh, first question. I apologize. But, yeah, the, the youth program was really key. And um, I was just trying to model our program after Oregon City at the time. And so we started fifth graders, went fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade programs. Um, I taught, basically, I taught the coaches our system. We would meet on Sunday nights uh, at the gym. And when we were having open gym or shooting workouts with parents and kids in the big gym, I would take the parents in the, in the middle gym at Prairie and um, go through all the fundamental teachings that I wanted taught, the few plays that we did run uh, at each level, <clears throat> the drills that were important for teaching those those skills, and then I would have the parents, uh, the coaches, go out and, and run the drills, and that was really interesting because their frustration with being able to do some of the skills, uh, I think, kind of lent, lent itself well to having more patience with the youth kids. So, yeah, the youth development program was really extremely important for us, um, and it thrived and it kept us alive um, <clears throat> through a, lo a lot of my years. As it got to the end of my into my career, the influence of club uh, into the youth program uh, really made it very difficult um, because we couldn't keep the top-level kids. They Parents wanted them to move on and play with, quote, better kids. And so it kind of um, <clears throat> sabotaged the youth program as such. But, yeah, in the early days and up through probably 20, 25 years, uh, the youth program was keeping us alive. We were developing kids. Uh, putting in our system at a younger level, teaching them our defensive concepts, our offensive sets that we were running in those days. Uh, we had lots. And so we would teach the fifth graders a couple of things, add a bunch more of sixth graders, add more of seventh, add more of eighth. When they got to high school in the ninth grade, they had basically had, had and were running a lot of the stuff that we were doing uh, at the high school level. And so it just continued to grow through their high school career. You mentioned coach the coaches, and the coaches that you were coaching would have been the parents in that youth program. So you, in turn, were essentially mentoring them and their knowledge and their learning base of the game. What about you? Who would your mentors have been? You mentioned Oregon City, who was a powerful girls program in, in the Portland area uh, a number of years ago. But who were your mentors? Were, was it the coach at Oregon City? Brad Smith, I believe, was his name. Was it a college coach in the area? Where did you get your mentorship from? Um, Brad Smith was my um, my biggest mentor, I think. You know, he's a good friend. And um, at the time, Brad was very, very successful at Oregon City, as was Mark Neffendorf when he was at Glencoe and um, Westview High Schools in Portland. And so we were going to team camps with those coaches, and that's how I got to meet them. And, uh, yeah, I really studied what they were doing and tried to emulate their programs. They both had dynamic youth programs and 
So Brad was really key and instrumental for me in helping me not only develop my philosophy and how I wanted to approach uh, the game, um, but also how to develop my program and kind of emulate what they were doing. And, you know, he was the most successful um, high school coach in the nation probably and, and won. They had national championships at the time. I think they won nine Oregon uh, state championships and three or four national championships in high school ball. And they were taking their high school teams out in the summer and doing club and winning club tournaments, you know, with just their high school team. So uh, they really had it together. And so Brad and, and uh, Mark were very influential. You might remember Butch, Butch Blue from Battleground and Bill Hill from Battleground. Uh, they were inf very influential to me in my very young years, first starting out because I kind of was emulating what they were doing in their programs and Bill and Butch were related. Bill was the head coach at Battleground and Butch was, uh, took his place when Bill retired and they were both running the stack offense, you know, and, uh, and so that's where we started. I just started borrowing um, sets and information and, and stuff from those guys and, and kind of implemented it into my program and it worked and we just expanded and went forward from there between them and Brad. I've always felt that, you know, the coaching fraternity and the coaching network is a, uh, is a group that is so willing to share what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them uh, to, to continue to grow the game. When you look at some of the maybe better coaches at the next level, whether it's college or NBA, WNBA, are there any coaches that you, you know, you look back and, and, and you say, you know what, I had a conversation with this coach or that coach that really opened my eyes to looking at something differently? Yeah, that's, that's very important. Um, Mike Meek was at Southridge High School and now is at University of Portland women's coach. Um, I picked his brain a lot about his system because we both had very dominant post players and Barry Adams from uh, – Portland was kind of the guru for teaching uh, post offense and Mike and Barry were good buddies. And, and so I got to know them and share, Mike shared information with me about, uh, you know, coaching up post kids. Um, and then, you know, it just keeps evolving. Like uh, last year I got to meet with Vance Wahlberg um, and have dinner with him and pick his brain about the dribble motion offense um, I spoke with uh, Paul Thomas at St. Mary's here just last week uh, about some uh, Euro ball screen action that I want to do this fall with my team. And then I talked to Mark Campbell yesterday at University of Oregon about some of the same similarities with their uh, on-ball action. So, yeah, I think, you know, to, to rely and, and share information with with uh, coaches is really critical in our game and, and to grow it. Uh, Mike Neighbors, who was at University of Washington, you know, and now as at Arkansas, he's, uh, he's published all kinds of videos and drills and really eager to, to help coaches uh, in our game grow and, and share ideas. And, and I've been trying to do the same thing. If people call me and ask me for stuff, you know, I'm more than willing to share uh, the things that I, I can share with them too to help. So you're right. It's a tight knit little group of not little, but a tight knit group of coaches countrywide. And very seldom is anybody reluctant to want to share what they're doing. I mean, it, 
most people are pretty open. When you talk about or when you look at the big picture of the women's game at the college level, you mentioned a couple couple names. Uh, Mike Neighbors is one I know at Arkansas. Kelly Graves was a guest uh, on the ISO a few months back at University of Oregon, and he's coached some tremendous players there. Is there one coach uh, at the women's college game level that you look at and say, I think that person does an unbelievable job, and I'd love to go sit in a training camp for three or four days and soak it all in? Well, neighbors would be one. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, when he was at the University of Washington, I didn't make the effort to go up there. Um, he was an assistant coach um, for, oh gosh, I can't remember the guy's name, went back to Illinois. And then he got the job when the other coach left. <clears throat> and kind of that's when he opened up his um, opportunities to share the game with everybody. And the more I watched his things and the more I listened to him, uh, I got intrigued. And, and it wasn't until he went to Arkansas when I really got motivated to <clears throat> to want to explore and find out what makes him tick. But, you know, by that time, he was too far away. And obviously, Kelly Graves is, is you know, he's a good friend, too. And he what he did at Gonzaga was really impressive. And, and the fact that uh, he's turned Oregon into a national contender, you know, last year I think they maybe would have won a national championship in the few years he's been there. Uh, yeah, it's opportunities to go watch him coach is fun. Um, obviously, when they're working with those kinds of athletes, it's a little different than what, you know, I had the opportunity to do. But um, back in the day when I was at Prairie, you know, any opportunity I had to go watch college coaches, I did. You know, I watched Jim Sollers a lot at University of Portland. Um, uh, I, I went, <clears throat> went down to Oregon State and watched Mark when Mark was uh, at Oregon State. Um, I went to, Gun, um, excuse me, George Fox when uh, the Oregon State coach was there and watched his practices. So, yeah, I, mean, I, <clears throat> I like to get out and watch people do their thing too. So you've had a tremendous amount of success at the high school level, as we mentioned, six state titles. Uh, you've really watched the college game closely because of your wanting to learn more and improve your skill set. Your past players at Prairie going on to play college you follow. What has been the biggest or the best improvement in girls' women's basketball since your time as a coach started till now? Well, I think the individual skills have improved so much. The, <clears throat> there's so many trainers out there working with kids nowadays, and uh, some clubs do a really good job of training their kids as well as just exposing them to uh, opportunities for recruiting. But I think the single most thing is the players are just better now. They're um, more skilled. Uh, big kids have perimeter offense. Uh, some of the big kid skills have gone away, I think, the basket-to-basket basket stuff. But um, I think the single most influential thing for me is the skill level of the kids because doing a club right now, you know, when I try and find better players, I'm, I'm pretty amazed at, at how much uh, personal skill they have as far as the basketball IQ, sometimes not so much. But um, <clears throat> I think the physical skills have improved a ton. Uh, over the years, more advanced. 
you were one of the few coaches years ago that I can remember that did a nice job of blending mm-hmm. their high school program with coaching a club program. Now you're not coaching high school anymore and you're specifically focused on club. How do you balance your view of the importance of both of those? Because there, there's, there's big time importance for winning high school games, <clears throat> competing for state titles and knowing how to have the pride to compete for, for your community but then there's also the, the need, if you are going to play or you've got the ability to play at the next level, you need to get out and be seen at the club. How do you, how do you balance the two in your view? Well, in, in the early days when I was doing both, it was pretty easy because I was seeing both sides so heavily <clears throat> as a high school coach, excuse me, and uh, as a club coach. And as I got out of the high school scene and started doing more club, I think that um, – Kids need to be reminded of the importance of a high school program. I feel very strongly uh, that their priority still needs to be in high school. And <clears throat> there's nothing that substitutes for the camaraderie and the friendships and and all the atmospheric things that go on in a high school program, like you said, with the community and uh, representing their school, developing pride, and those kinds of things are are really critical. And you know, as a club coach, I think anybody that's trying to alienate kids from, from high school programs or insisting that their club stuff is more important are doing the kids a real disservice and obviously hurting their chances to get to recruit kids um, from quality high school programs because I think a lot of high school guys that don't do the club scene are nervous about letting their kids go. They don't know what they're being taught. They don't know um, what's being said, if they're being supported in their programs or alienated in their program but for me personally um being a high school guy i've always respected that that part of a kid's development and encouraged it i know when we would always take the month of june off we would work in the spring and then we would hit memorial weekend that would be our last club work uh until july so kids could play the month of june with their high school teams and when i was at prairie we're obviously just continuing on with most of my kids because we were going from club in spring to high school in June and then back to club in July. But as we moved away from that and got more and more outside kids playing with our club, we still did the same thing. And, uh, you know, we advertised that we wanted them to be able to play with our high schools in June. And so, uh, you know, going out and watching kids play in the wintertime of their high school programs is really is fun for me. Uh, I like to see how they interact with, with their high school coaches and, and their teammates there and see the response they get from the, from the people in the community. It's, it's, it's a neat deal. And I just think that kids need to do both and they need to have that high school influence from their high school coaches and from their community and from their developing teammates that they spend more time with than they just the club kids, club coaches too. But on the flip side, not to ramble here on the flip side, I think the club, um, Viewing opportunities are really important too, and having kids be able to go out and be seen by college coaches, and and have a club coach like what I do, you know, is is help them with high school. I mean, excuse me, highlight films, getting those out to using my contacts to the coaches that that I've come in contact with across the country, and helping those kids get recruited. So that's my biggest thing, I think, from my club standpoint too. Just don't have time to really change a lot of habits. 
you kind of have to work with the cards you're dealt with, like you said, like high school and, and try to make the best of every situation and be successful and, and help them get recruited. So I think that's well said, and it's a good explanation of why there's value in both. Um, and, and if you have the opportunity, you should play in both. You know, Al, there's another thing that I think kind of uh, is an underlying factor in a lot of high school sports, and it's, it's not just basketball on the boys' and the girls' side, it's other sports too, is it's, it's the parental influence of pushing their kids uh, to, to, to choose one thing, whether it's a high school activity for their team or, or a club team, and then the influence that the parents try to persuade those coaches, whether it's high school or club, to make a decision that, that they feel is best for themselves or their kids. What would the best advice you can give to a coach uh, and or a parent for that type of environment? Well, I think you need to be open with them, number one, of what your expectations are going to be like. You know, we, Dan, you can remember we had parent meetings back in the day at Prairie where we would be very specific with the things that we were going over, what our expectations were, right down to <clears> – <throat> to uh, dress for the day, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, it might have seemed like we were being a little bit too controlling, but at the same time, we were establishing what the expectation was. And I think the more expectation that you have, um, and you share that with the parents, the easier it is to, to survive in this day and age. But at the same time, um, I hear horror stories constantly about and I've been in in the stands listening to parents when I'm going out recruiting kids, and they're just nasty. I mean, it's just it's sad uh, in a lot of circumstances the way the girls' game especially has has gone sour with parents. Parents um, feeling that all their daughters are Division One players when they're they're not even close because the parents have no concept about what that expectation is at that level. And just um, maybe it's wanting too much for their kid and pushing them too hard, but the relentless pursuit on coaches, in my, my opinion these days, is, is just unhealthy. And it's driven so many good people out of the profession because they love coaching, but they don't want to deal with parents. And so for younger coaches, <clears throat> I think that the expectations need to be laid out in advance and the parents need to understand that, you know, every day is not going to be a bed of roses. And there's going to be days when your daughter comes home and she's upset because coach was hard on her, coach was yelling at her, coach was getting after her, coach was getting after the team, team didn't have a fun practice because it was too, you know, they're getting reminded of things they need to fix. And they need to be able to say, well, the coach is coach. And that's the way it is. You know, you deal with it, you learn from it, you get stronger and, it helps you down the road a ways, but instead they have a tendency to turn back on the coach and, and say, well, he has no right to be doing that to you. And the next thing you know, it's, it's calls to administration and, and just stirring the pot up and causing dissension within the, the framework of the team. And so <clears throat> I think it, it's um, parents need to take a step back and ruin the profession. They really are. And uh, I said from the women's world, but I know it's apparent in the boys world as well. It, um, Parents just need to let coaches coach and be parents. And that cliche that we hear so often, you know, um, is really, really important. And not all kids are going to be Division One, but there's a lot of really great 
opportunities for kids from Division Three, Division Two, uh, NAIA. I've learned to love NAIA, and Bruce Brown, you know, being a proponent of NAIA, has uh, opened my eyes, and I've, I've sent a ton of kids to NAIA schools, and they're having great success, getting full scholarships, uh, a little less pressure in the amount of hours that they have to spend uh, uh, preparing and getting better, but because, you know, they're, they're not going to be women's NBA players anyway. They just want to get a great education, have a good basketball experience, and move forward. So, yeah, I just um, – <clears throat> I think it's really sad the influence that the parents have on the sport right now and, more importantly, the influence that the parents have on administration and administration with no backbone to support their coaches because of, of the backlash that they fear or the upper administration not supporting them – trying to support their coaches. And I experienced that, uh, you know, a couple, with a couple different administrations of Prairie. It was really tough. No, that was a perfect answer. I want to throw your memory hat on for a second here, Al. And you, as mentioned, a couple state titles, but I'm sure along the way there were some teams that maybe didn't quite live up to expectations or you had teams that, quite frankly, exceeded expectations. Where did you find your most satisfaction? Was it winning a state title with a team that was expected maybe to win it or possibly an average team that far exceeded expectations? Well, I think the uh, to be honest, Dan, we didn't have too many average teams because we were always looking forward to the next accomplishment. But I think more than anything is, is the challenge of repeating challenge of getting back to um, winning a, a league title, a district title, getting back to the state tournament and trying to, to do it again um, uh, was real satisfying, real motivating for me, uh, perpetuating program year after year after year after year. Like you said, taking the kids you dealt with and, and trying to develop a system that would, you know, allow them to be successful at that level. Um, I would think probably it was more fun the years that we had loaded teams and we would go in with uh, kind of the fear factor and people were just uh, almost afraid to want to get on the court and compete sometimes, you know, because of what they were going to face. Uh, but at the same time, I did have uh, some teams that overachieved and, uh, and those were fun too. I mean, those were exciting years and, and to see that, excitement, enthusiasm in the players, uh, being able to continue the pride of the program when they, maybe we we won a championship in the next year, we had a big drop off, a, a huge class, uh, senior class that left and have to start over to, to watch those kids grow and achieve something, getting back to the tournament, keeping the pride alive was really a very special component too. The, the pride factor that you just mentioned right there is definitely evident. Um, you know, you've known my wife longer than I have. She played for you in high school. Uh, she won a state title with you in 1998, something that I wasn't quite able to do in high school. And to this day, I still see that ring occasionally uh, when, we, when high school basketball memories or just basketball is brought up in general. Uh, and I might make a comment on a player or a game that I've seen, and, and she goes, hey, I've got the state tournament. So the lessons that you taught to my wife, Al, years ago are still being remembered in my house, and they're being told. So uh, I just wanted to share that with you as we wrap up. 
I appreciate you taking some time to, to join the ISO and, and SB Live Sports on our chat today. It's been tremendous uh, getting to hear a little bit more about some of the background in your coaching, and thanks for your time today, Al. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate uh, you having me on today. It's an honor, and uh, uh, good luck with your, your podcast here. I know you're doing a great job and look forward to hearing more podcasts from you in the future. Thank you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.